You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. So we're continuing our series in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, if you were here last week, I hope that you've been, if you're a married couple, been putting last week's message into practice and doing your homework. Um, we, we are in this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. You may know him as St. Paul or Apostle Paul. He, he started this church in Corinth and established it. Uh, and now he's heard uh, things that he wants to help them with. He wants to impress on them and care for them. He loves them. And he's actually, we'll learn today, he's received a letter from them that he's also responding to. So uh, last week we heard about the biblical vision for sex. This week we're listening to the biblical vision for marriage. And next week we'll look at biblical singleness. Uh, So all of these things come up. Uh, In a while I'm going to welcome my wife up and we're going to talk about how these things are worked through in everyday life. And I'm going to start from um, the last two verses of chapter 6 because I think it sets the tone helpfully for chapter 7. And then we're just going to read the first five verses of chapter 7. So it's not long. So Paul says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your commitment to us as we were hearing that you are desperate to answer our prayers. You are on the front foot waiting for us to come to you. You say, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. I thank you, Lord, that as we draw near to you this morning, you're drawing near to us. I pray for those this morning that are still reluctant to do that, that they would just open up enough so that you could draw near to them this morning. I really do ask for you to soften our hearts that we would trust you that you're a loving God, you're a good Father. Bless us by your word, that this would be life-giving this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I just want to also make a point that I'm aware that around this subject, there may be people in the room, or there certainly will be people in the room, who this isn't a lovely subject for you. This is a difficult subject. Perhaps heartbreak from your own previous marriage, heartbreak maybe from your current marriage that you're in, or perhaps the marriage that you saw growing up made you just think, I don't want to go anywhere near marriage because my parents' marriage was, uh, was horrible. Perhaps you are close to people whose marriage is difficult and you just know that's affecting your life. So I just want you to know, as I am aware of that, God is so much more aware of that. What you're going through, God is aware of that. And he is not aloof. He is in the midst of what you're going through. I'm also aware that there are many singles in the room. And next week, as I said, we'll be looking more into that subject but we mustn't, we mustn't shy away from looking into marriage. As Tom said last week, it's great to go through a book or a letter of the Bible because it brings up subjects that we otherwise might, uh, might, might shy away from. But this has come up and we want to look at it. We, we mustn't 
be shy from looking at the subject, but we also mustn't be shy from celebrating marriage. Marriage is God's designed institution. He created marriage. It says right in Genesis, right in the first few chapters, it says, this, For this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife. So God created marriage. We don't want to be saying, oh, let's not bring that up. No, we are celebrating. And actually, because we, we want to take ownership, even if you're not in the position today, I would encourage you, lean in, take, take ownership of this conversation because especially if you're part of this church, a member of this church, you're part of a wider body. It's not just about your story, about, but it's about many people's stories and how we can serve each other. My wife and I have been at the receiving hands of such loving friends in this church. We've got amazing people in this church. People who are not married, but have said to us, I want to babysit for you. When can I babysit for you so that you two can have a time night together? So that you two can get out. And they're not married, but they're still investing in marriage. They're still celebrating marriage. And I would encourage us, we don't have to be married to think this subject is an important subject. Thinking about marriage is relevant for everyone. Nikki Gumbel says, Marriage is meant to point people to the close, intimate, and loving relationship God desires to have with us. A strong society is built on strong families. Strong families are built on strong marriages. He's saying that strong, you know, the society, it needs strong families. Have we got a strong society? No. Do we want one? Yes. We haven't got strong marriages at the moment to build them on. I read this article in the Telegraph from a few years ago. It says this. Couples start taking each other for granted three years and six months into their marriage. A poll of 2,000 married adults showed this is the point where couples lose that dating buzz, preferring sleep over sex and stop saying I love you. The research indicated after three and a half years of wedded bliss, cuddling up on the sofa in the evening is a thing of the past, with couples more likely to go to bed at different times. And by this time in a relationship, rather than settling down to enjoy an evening together, the likelihood is that couples will eat at different times, sit in different rooms, and zone out of a conversation in favor of watching the TV. Kate Jones um, of Cooperative Food, which commissioned the study, said... This research shows once they've tied the knot, it's all too easy for couples to start getting complacent and starting taking each other for granted. Once the honeymoon period is over, couples often let bad habits take over and forget to go the extra mile to make the other happy. And Paul is saying in his, and I particularly wanted to focus on on verse 4 here, uh, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. (gasps) So sexist. Oh, wait a minute. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. We are not our own when we get married. We need to focus on this because the devil hates marriage. Because he hates God's creation. He hates society. He wants destruction. And so he's trying to undermine one of the foundational things that keeps society going strong. He hates marriage. Wonderful marriages are not easy. And easy marriages are not wonderful. Wonderful marriages are not easy. Easy marriages don't really exist. Easy marriages don't last. They, marriages take work. Mostly they're difficult because the work is about getting over yourself. As Christians, we would say putting our flesh to death. What we want, what we desire. And Paul is responding, actually. He says that in the first 
few verses of chapter 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and then he quotes, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's his quote from what they wrote to him. And he's kind of answering them here saying, yeah, it could be good. It could be good for a man not to have sexual relations with... He, Paul actually in one of his letters, well, part of this letter says, I wish that all people were like me, single, so that you could do so much more. He's not scared of saying that. But that doesn't mean he's anti-marriage because actually he, he, he praises and celebrates marriage. He shows us how it's a picture of Christ and the church. So he's not anti-marriage. He's just saying, yeah, it could be okay for you to be single and not have sex. Uh, but if you're going to, if you're tempted, if you want to, then have a wife, have a husband. So his point is, this, the place for this is in marriage. He's not saying it's better that you don't. He's just saying, if, if you don't want to, that's fine. But if you do, get married and give yourself to each other. So the focus of today is really about that verse 4, that the husband gives himself, the wife gives of herself. And it's about letting go of my rights, ultimately letting go of myself, killing off and dying to my rights, or dying over my rights. He uses the phrase, does not rule over. Does not rule over. And that's very hard for us. Because we want to rule over our bodies. We want to rule over our desires. We want to rule over what we, our decisions. But he's saying a husband does not rule over his body. A wife does not rule over. It's about giving. And for Christians, the reason I wanted to include the last part of chapter 6 is because for Christians, this has already happened. This is already true of us. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So as Christians, we know actually I'm not my own already. And I step into marriage knowing it's not, it's not about me. I'm not my own. We're doing in my, in my renewal course on, on Tuesday nights, we've been talking about how we're not, God's not part of my story. I, I, I've got my story going on and he's an extra. He's a piece on the side. You know, if you look carefully in the frame, you can see him. No, it's the other way around. His story is the overarching story of history. He's about a great work, and I'm just a tiny piece of his story. And when I understand that more and more, and when we understand that in our marriage, we can let go of, oh, I I wanted it this way. No, I'm part of a bigger story. And actually, together as a couple, we can complement each other for God's greater story. Not, I'm bowing down to my wife's story, neither am I bowing down to my own, but I'm part of something bigger. So the whole thing that we're looking at here is letting go of self in marriage. We could talk about, I could talk about marriage on my own, but this time we want to make it as helpful and practical as possible. We want to serve married couples by talking as a married couple. And so it'd be good for you to hear from a male and a female. So let's welcome my wife, who did fantastically this morning. Welcome. And we're going to sit and basically have a bit of a, a, bit of a chat, and you can listen in. Hello. Hello. So... This is Esme, if you didn't know, and uh, we've been married coming up for 12 years now. We've got three kids. One of them is seven today. It's his birthday. He's our oldest. And um, there's so much we could try to say, so much we could try to say, but we will just try and focus on a few things. Just to int- introduce a bit of who we are. Yeah, we have quite a funny story. Um, 
our families have known each other for a long time and been involved in church together. And my mum actually changed Tim's nappy when he was a baby. She used to... um, When I was a baby. Yeah, when you were a baby. Hopefully not again. Um, Yeah, she used to look after you and your parents went away, didn't she? Yes. And, yeah. She lived with my family for a little while before either of us were born. And um, Tim's sister was a bridesmaid at my mum's wedding. And, yeah, my middle name's actually after your sister. So we, yeah, have known each other for a long time, but parents went... And helped in churches in different areas, and we didn't get to know each other again until we were in our teenage years. And yeah, yeah. So we, ha- our parents have been family friends for decades, and so they knew each other. So uh, we are very, very close families like that. Um, that doesn't make everything simple, surprisingly, but we'll talk about that in a, in a moment. Um, and I remembered earlier that the way we got together was that I stole Esme's phone number off my friend's phone. Uh, he, he got out of the car and he left his phone on the side and I and actually he fancied her but I I, I nicked her number and I and I uh, and then I did a cowardly thing I texted her and said I found your number in my phone I don't know who you are who who is this uh, so it worked on a sixteen year old it worked yeah um, so anyway that is a little bit about the uh, shameful past no um, so we're going to look at three things that help us seek God's best for our marriage. Three things that have really helped us. And in this, I, wanted, I want to really recommend a book by, um, perhaps I'll be able to put it on the Facebook page, by Paul Tripp, who is a biblical counsellor, and it's called uh, What Did You Expect? Because the first thing we'll talk about is biblical expectations, having biblical expectations. And one of the things in that is to be aware of unrealistic expectations. Working, uh, for me, an illustration of this would be, I first time I worked for the church full-time was eight years ago when we moved, moved out to South Africa. And I thought working for a church would be heaven on earth. I thought, I will go there and I will be so inspired every day. Everyone will be so inspiring. It will be like working with ten Jesuses. And uh, I will be invested in. I will be discipled. I will be raised up. And it will be, it will be heaven on earth. And then I forgot to think, but I'm working with sinful people. And I'm working in reality of a broken world. And so I actually found that I was so disappointed and disillusioned that I was crushed by it. And for years, two years probably, a year and a half, two years, it took me so long to get past that uh, that expectation was, was, was irrational. It wasn't right. And so expectation is the same in marriage. You come into marriage thinking maybe this is... This is where it's all going to end. This is my promised land. When I get married, that is when I'll finally be happy forever. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow. But you're not in heaven yet, and you're actually married to a sinful person, believe it or not. So we're going to talk about Esme's sins later on. (laughs) No, we're not. Um, But that is an example, really. Paul Tripp says this in his book. Again, he's a biblical counselor who's counseled many married couples. And he says, again and again, I've sat with couples who simply do not seem to be taking seriously the important things the Bible has to say about what every marriage will encounter in the here and now. Unrealistic expectations always lead to disappointment. When we don't go in expecting something that is impossible or unreal, then it will end up in huge disappointment. That hurts. So some of the areas we can get our expectations from are uh, world and out of the world and in movies. I saw this funny thing online. We've got this picture. Movie love, in the rain, grabbing each other. It's you. It's always been you. True love, bending over before his wife. It looks a little less swollen today. 
So real marriage is not quite as, uh, uh, yeah, as, as kind of, well, unrealistic as, uh, as movie marriage. And so you're looking at rom-coms and things like that. You can get ideas. Men, unfortunately, well, both sexes can, can get terrible expectations from when they get sucked into pornography, looking at things in porn, thinking, oh, I can expect that sort of thing. We can really have terrible expectations from the world. Also, as I said earlier, from our own parents and what we saw growing up, we think that's the, that's the most influential marriage I've looked at. Our marriage will be like that. And then you come together with someone else. And as I was saying, we, we were so close. Some people get married from two different continents. and think, wow, that, what they've got to grapple with is difficult because uh, you come from such different backgrounds. We were so close, and yet we found that didn't answer that question for us. We had so much that was different than how, how our parents' marriages were. And uh, the last thing is that, that, that our expectations can be so my needs focused, my needs being met, myself being happy. But the Bible was clear. We live in a fallen world, and marriage does not escape that. So it's helpful to recognize that we don't have to panic when things aren't great, when things aren't amazing and heaven on earth isn't here, we can understand, yeah, we live in a fallen world and our marriage doesn't escape that. So to ask you a question, what expectations did you have that were not met? And don't mention the hair. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I definitely came into marriage thinking you would be living to, yeah, fulfill my happiness in every single way. Um, I remember being very surprised that you cared about things like decorating. I thought that would be my domain, and I, you just want to make me happy and not make in it... general. Our house, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Not like... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, even just how our families did things, how they related to or managed finances. I grew up with a lot of sisters, and so the way we related was quite different to your house with a lot of brothers, um, and. Yeah, I think one of my biggest surprises really was that um, coming into mar- once we were married, that there would still be temptation and that would still be something that might impact on our marriage. I think that was quite a naive thought of mine. Mm. So basically coming down to the fact that we forgot we, we were marrying sinful people and we need to have grace for that and take that into account. I think I expected Esme to really get me at a deep level and that she'd be really motivated in the same ways and understand my heart without having to communicate it much. I just thought she will get me at a deep level and she'll want to talk for hours about me and my struggles and my past. And she didn't really, and that was fair enough. <laughs> that was fair enough, really. So, um, and I think another thing is I expected that I would get marriage. I thought I will know what to do. I won't need any help. I, I'm, I'm pretty clued up about marriage. And, uh, and, and I realized pretty soon that was unrealistic, that we would need help from outside Uh, that we need to help each other, and that I would have a lot, a lot to learn. Um, Again, Paul Tripp says in his his book, the person that you, this is a thing that I can definitely resonate with, the person who was once your escape from responsibility is now one of your most significant responsibilities. And I think when you're dating and courting, whatever you want to call it, and you just have fun together and your your girlfriend or your boyfriend is, is your escape from responsibility, escape from reality, and then suddenly when you get married, it's like now... Actually, you've swung to the other end. Now your biggest responsibility and the reality hits of things that you have to do like admin and and, and talking things out and getting through difficult conversations. But what does the Bible say? We're looking at this in that verse 4. I don't own myself. She doesn't own herself. It's a we're giving of each other. Um, And as you were saying, we will face trials. The Bible says we will face trials. So we can't be naive and think that won't include marriage. It will include marriage. 
Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. In this, in this life you'll find troubles, but take heart, he's with us, he's for us. And I just would put point in there as well, that if, we have, if, we, if you have a marriage you think we never face, what are you talking about? We don't face any trials. I think I would just push you a little bit and say, you may be communicating and living at quite a more superficial level than is available to you. And that God may have a lot more for you to pull out. Because actually the greatest goal we'll talk about in a moment of our marriage is not each other's comfort. It's not each other's happiness. It's that we glorify God and that we grow more like Jesus. That is a goal in our marriage. What has God taught you about expectations? And uh, what have you learned either about having unrealistic or real expectations that weren't met? Yeah, so I think, as you said, unrealistic expectations always lead to disappointment. And how you deal with that disappointment is really important. can lead to bitterness and resentment unless you take it back before God. Um, we live in a fallen world and our marriage isn't going to escape that brokenness. And so being realistic about the bumps and the knocks that it might take. Mm. Um, but also realising that my dream was faulty. Like, but if I abandon that dream, I actually get to pick up a better one. God's dream for my marriage is so much better than the faulty one that I came into marriage yeah, with. Um, and to clock where am I getting my expectations from like you said are the, am I getting them from romantic comedies or am I getting them from the Bible the word of God is clear that we are going to face trials that our flesh is going to desire sinful things that we're going to be given over to selfishness that that's going to be a battle um, and ultimately if I'm just seeking my happiness I'm missing out on the bigger story that God's written mm. for me um, and for you, and if I'm just seeking to rewrite your story, then we're missing out on the grace that God has for us. And that. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. And so with expectations, one of the things is that des- desires aren't wrong. You can go into marriage with desires, and as we were saying about kind of dying to those desires at times, thinking, okay, I'll, I'll be able to give that up. But desires themselves aren't wrong, but we're talking about making demands, saying, I demand to have it this way, or I'm going to, I'm saying I'm out of this, or I'm going to throw a fit, or I'm going to get angry, whatever it might be. So we're not making demands. And one of the ways we look at that is, um, is Jesus at the cross. So I'll ask you, how do you manage still having dreams and desires while not making demands? Yeah, so at the cross, um, Jesus said, if you can take this from me, please do. But at the same time said, but not my will, but yours. And that's so helpful to remember in this, isn't it? And I think it's something I've grown in in recent years. I think you can come in with an agenda, come in with an expectation about how things should be met. Um, And I think for a season I needed to die to that and say, actually, yeah, I need to open my hand, open my plans up Mm. and and lay them down and be willing to follow and let you lead. Mm. Um, And then in doing that, I've been able to say, okay, can I share my, let's share our desires. I want to mm. hear your heart. What's my heart? How can we pray into these together? What does this look like for us um, mm. going forward? Mm. So for, so there, are, there are some that you've got and had desires that Esme's had since she was a little girl, either for marriage or for yourself, really. And some of those, um, you were saying to me, you, you, would, you, you said, okay, I can let those go completely. Some of them you think, I don't know if I want to let go of that but I don't have to let go of the desire. I can pray, God, if this is what you've got for us, if this is what you've got for me, then warm Tim's heart to it. Yeah. And I can pray, God, I don't want to do that at all, but if this is what you've got for us as a couple, then warm my heart to it so mm-hmm. that, that we can actually do this together. So that Esme hasn't got her projects and I've got mine, but no, I can encourage her in hers. Um, 
And have you put that desire in my heart to spark something exactly, in our marriage? Yeah. yeah. So those are, that's, those are things about um, expectations. Second thing to talk about is loving communication. Um, it's really about understanding your spouse. Understanding your spouse so you can fight for them rather than fighting against them. It's so easy for us to fight against them. If we're fighting for ourselves, we're fighting against. But we're actually called to fight for our spouse. Fighting for them, we fight for our marriage and we fight for God's glory rather than fighting for self. And in part of that is to realize that more and more as, as time goes on and in humility to realize my spouse is not a threat to me. And it was very hard for me. Esme is so gifted in so many areas. And when those gifts come to the surface, I can find it threatening because she's better at that than me. And then I, cannot, I, can, I can almost be discouraging in those rather than thinking this is not a threat to me. She's a compliment to me. We live a complementary marriage. And so where she's strong, I can be weak. And where I can be strong, she can be weak. And so a lot of that stuff of fighting for each other is recognizing I don't have to be threatened about her strengths and vice versa. Um, Paul Tripp's good in his book saying, most of the troubles we faced in our marriage, our marriages, are not personal or intentional. That's such a crucial thing for us to understand. Most of the things that come up, the, the spouse didn't mean to hurt you. They weren't out to get you. They were an oversight. It was a, it was a poor communication. It was a miscommunication or something. And honest and calm communication can really help us to trust that and understand that. I didn't mean to hurt you that way. I was, that was not my thought process. And in our pride and in our insecurities, we can often think, I know exactly why you did that. I know exactly, because you wanted this for yourself. And she's thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. And actually what I've thrown on her there is my history, my insecurities, my past, rather than trusting. Can you talk that through with me? Why, why, why this? Why that? So what has prevented us, do you think, from communicating well in the past? Um, so I think our insecurities, I think um, coming into marriage of pain or um, hurt, um, we got together when we weren't walking with God and so the battles of sin that we were kind of working out at that time came into that relationship and ultimately into our marriage. Um, and those, yeah, those things quick, quickly get in the way and stop you trusting each other. They put barriers up. They, mm. um, yeah, they kind of divide, I guess, um, mm. where you need to build. Yeah. Absolutely. Insecurity is a huge one. I think pride is a huge one as well. Just being too proud to think, I don't want to talk to you about this. You need to get over yourself um, so that I can have my way. And pride, it seeps in. So insecurities and pride, I definitely agree with that. Walls being raised and the devil hates marriage and wants to put walls and divisions between us. uh, And God wants to break those walls down. uh, And he's amazing at doing that. So what has helped us grow better at communicating? Um, I think learning... That I need to sort my relationship with God and my um, heart out vertically before I react horizontally. So coming before God with something and, and, and bringing myself before God, <laughs> before bringing you. Um, and in whatever it is, bringing that to God and saying, do I, do I even need to bring this? The world would say to you, get it off your chest, speak your mind, um, better out than in. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says forgive it says don't keep a record of wrong it says Mm. overlook an offense um and so actually i need to bring it to god and more often than not probably leave it with god um proverbs is clear it's yeah it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense Mm. um i think a commitment to communication um might sound like a silly thing but actually committing to pursue each other committing to understand committing to say 
Um, I don't get that, but I want to, and I want to go deeper. I don't want to leave it at that surface level. I want to push under and find out why, what, what is yeah. it about that? Yeah. Um, and, and godly counsel, godly community. We were so served in our marriage through individual couples and groups of couples that we've walked with openly. Mm. Um, and we've been able to say, this is going on right now, or we're, we're talking this out and I don't get where they're coming from or I don't get why they think like that. Um, and I had a great friend who often talked about leaning in when you're communicating and she'd say, you just need to go back and lean in. And sometimes that was physically actually coming towards you. And sometimes that was emotionally saying, okay, I don't get this, but I want to, and I want to, mm. I want to work this out. Yeah. I remember they were so helpful to us and the husband of that couple would help me so many ways, but often similar things say, what's your responsibility in this? You're focusing a lot on her responsibility and how she's, she's apparently not meeting up to it. What's your responsibility in this? And what's your responsibility in responding to, to how she's apparently letting you down in this? So it's very helpful to say that we can be totally self-focused. Or we can get our eyes off ourselves. Um, so I would say, yeah, that is, I totally agree. Those things have helped. And the way that uh, Esme speaks to me and the way that I speak to her is so important. Again, Proverbs um, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And it's in those moments where you know I'm stirred up. Okay, I've got to take moments to be able to speak in a soft way. So otherwise, I'm just going to stir each other up. And so we know a lot of that is the how you do it as well as being committed to doing it. I agree. Um, what, have, what have been the most helpful things to communicate, do you think? Um being open and honest about those fears or those insecurities that you have. Um, yep. Yeah, where, where there's pain and, and what, it, what it means to you. Um, think understanding each other's love languages, um, understanding how each other communicates love, how the other one receives love. That's mm. hugely important. Mm. Um, but ultimately trusting God, trusting God that he's brought you together, that he knows your past, he knows your cultural experiences he knows how you're going to communicate and he pours his holy spirit into that you know that your spouse is responding to the holy spirit as well and he's softening hearts and opening eyes and that you're not in that alone mm. he, he's working mm. that out with you mm. um so you don't need to fear it or panic about it yeah if you don't know about that phrase love languages there's a book by a man called gary chapman who's and he writes about the five love languages and i'm not sure how perfect it is but it's been very helpful for us to understand that uh, people naturally will either display love or receive love in, in one of five ways. And one of them, one of them is gifts. Uh, one of them is uh, physical touch. One of them is quality time. Um, one of them is... Words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. And acts of service. Acts of service. And we've understood, as we've communicated with each other, we've understood that so much that we've been taking personal is not personal. It's the fact that Esme... <laughs> feels love a different way than I do. And I feel love a different way she does. And so then we have to, oh, I understand that. It's not personal. So actually I can work harder on loving you the way you like to be loved. So I can go and wash the dishes, which I think, what? That makes you feel loved. But yeah, because actually it's an act of service, Esme really appreciates. And she can do things that I like. So uh, I think, think communicating the truth to each other, being honest and vulnerable, open about past things. And... Um, reassuring each other has been huge for us. If you're going to move on in levels of trust, you've got to reassure each other, be patient, 
and humble with these things. Sometimes you've got to be so patient. I think you've probably been more patient than I've had to be. With just this, this, this kind of self-indulgence or, or negativity and be patient and speak life and truth to each other. We're, we're Christians who have answers in, in the gospel. We can speak truth to each other, speak life. So it's important that we communicate. It's, it's been helpful to us to acu- uh, communicate to each other what we're attracted to in each other. So that we can work on that. So as me, we both agree that what we probably find most physically attractive about each other is our smiles. And yet my resting face is this. <laughs> and I sometimes have to think, Esme probably hasn't seen me smile for days. Because I'm thinking about other things. And, and I have to physically rem- smile at your wife, for goodness sake. You know, laugh. Think about how she's, you know. And I think as a preacher, some of you have to realize your resting faces are the same. <laughs> And sometimes I wonder, are they listening or do they want to kill me? <laughs> so, yeah, Esme loves to see me smile. I have to remember that because it's not a natural thing that I don't walk around smiling. But, um, yeah, those sorts of things are very helpful to recognize. So last question on communication is, if we are always giving and thinking of the other, does that mean that our, sh- our communication should never hurt? No. Um, I love you too much for, yeah... To, to only to scratch the surface and say things that are going to make you feel good. Um, and I really believe the Bible says that we're, yeah, we're a measure of sanctification to each other and we are um, put together to point each other to Jesus. So if I don't bring things to you, I'm not helping you in your walk with him. Mm. So we've really both totally bought into the belief that God loves us as we are. He loves us too much to leave us as we are. So we love each other as we are. We want to extend grace as much as we can. But we love each other too much. And we have aspirations for each other in God. To be, too much to just say, yeah, be however you want to be. And I'll just keep being your cheerleader. We want to be each other's cheerleader in growth as well. And in growing more Christ-like. If the goal of our marriage is not to make each other comfortable. Or really, the goal of my marriage is not to make my wife happy. But to help her to become more Christ-like then there has to be an awareness of sin amongst us. We can help each other fight together for, against sin in our lives. So um, as long as it's for each other, it can hurt at times. If it's for myself, then I need to be careful. If I'm hurting her for a selfish reason, that's horrible. If I'm, if I'm saying something that might sting a little bit, but it's for her good, that's a different thing altogether. And th- thirdly, we want to talk about having a foundation of grace. We know as Christians, as we've just talked about in chapter 6, the end, I'm not my own. I've been bought for a price. And grace is freely given and freely received. Freely received from God, his love, so I freely give. And uh, I've been saved uh, by Jesus at such a price. And and Paul says to, to the Galatians, if it's freedom's sake you've been set free, don't be bound up. Don't be bound up to a yoke of slavery, but be free. Walk in your freedom. So I've received and I want to give out grace. As we said with the experiences, there are, there are two sinful people coming together. The world is fallen. Our marriage is not exempt from that. So we have to be completely aware that we have a foundation of grace. And I think you're going to make the point, make it for you. You don't want to ruin what you're going to say. But this is not just a when we have arguments thing. This is a foundation for everything. Everything in our lives, a foundation of grace. In fact, we had a conversation quite early on in our marriage where something wasn't going brilliantly. And Esme said to me, but, but we, our, we're, our marriage is based on our vows, what we promise to each other. 
And I said, yeah, that's our standard. But our marriage is based on grace. It's got to be founded on grace. Because I'm going to break those marriage vows every week in my heart, if not daily. We need to have a foundation of grace and that we, we, we aim for what we promised in our vows. And if communication is about understanding your spouse, then grace, a foundation of grace, is about understanding yourself and your marriage in light of God and his gospel. So I think of the, the parable of the forgiving king. I'm not sure if that's what it's called, but where the, this king says to his servant, um, he, he forgives him of this huge, huge debt, huge unpayable debt, forgives him. And then the, 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 the servant goes out and finds someone who owes him a tiny debt. And he says, I demand that you give me this debt. I demand that you pay it. And the king hears about this and says, what on earth? I've forgiven you of everything and you won't forgive. And I think if the gospel doesn't trickle down into my actions and the way I forgive and the way I behave with my wife, then I haven't understood it myself. And so we really are trying to live a life where we are saying, I received grace freely, freely I give it. So what are some examples of where you've had to extend grace, if you have any at all? No way, you're so perfect. Dig deep, dig deep. Um, I was thinking of two different ways, really. Um, One... Um, maybe bigger moments where I felt let down or, um, yeah, I just felt like maybe it's been for an extended period of time. Um, And then the day-to-day kind of commitment to extending grace. Um, One of the bigger moments I reflected on was um, you were struggling in a work situation and you were wrestling some things out with God and you were down for quite an extended period. Um, And you didn't often sound or maybe even look like the man I married for a period of time. And and I had to really lean on the grace of God in extending that to you and loving you and and dealing with the pain that that maybe brought me as well. Mm. Um, But also the day-to-day things, um, like when you used up the icing sugar the night before our son's birthday and didn't tell me. (laughs) Or... um, when maybe just when you're distracted, um, when, I, <laughs> when I feel like I'm tele- talking about something important or um, just not doing something in the way that I might have hoped or expected. Um, if you look at the cross, like, yeah, Jesus had to completely deny himself and grace can't be on my terms. Um, yeah. But grace really is the Holy Spirit poured in the gaps of our imperfections. Mm. Um, and mm. without it, love just becomes conditional. Yeah. So grace, the grace of God is an unconditional love. It's, on, it's conditioned on Jesus' perfectness, not on ours. And we, we, again, we, 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 that flows out of us. I was just trying to think if there's any areas where I've had to extend grace for you. No? Um, she doesn't let me tell people. Um, no, so, some people just here may be aware that um, you're, you may be in a marriage or have had the thought of, well, the very foundation of our marriage was, was broken from the start. We may be, maybe you have, maybe think we shouldn't really have ever got married. We, we're not compatible. We, and you may have all sorts of arguments that you've told yourself. But I think the important thing to understand about grace here is that we were all broken from the start. We were all broken from the start. And God in his loving mercy is the redeemer who's able to help us to stand to our feet in Christ. To know that there's forgive, forgiveness. And not just forgiveness, but there's life and life in abundance. So if your marriage started, and I would say our marriage started a very messy way. And we've even had very sad conversations a few months or years into our marriage where we had arguments that maybe we shouldn't even got married. And, you know, horrible things. And I would say that year after year, 12 years now, it's got better and better and we love each other more and more and our marriage has got better and better. Because God is a God, if you follow him, of redemption 
a God of rescue, a God of uh, a commitment to us. And he loves marriage. It's his thing. So he will serve you in it the more that you lay yourself down and trust him in it. It's a wonderful tool of sanctification as well as kids are as well. We've, the two biggest sources of sanctification in my life, if you don't know that word, it just means growing more like Jesus. The two things that have helped me have been getting married and having children. When you realize, man, I've, I've got to put myself second. I've got to put myself third, fourth, fifth here uh, because this is, this is what God's will is for me. And as you do, God says, and you're growing a bit more like Jesus now who put himself last. He put himself last and died on a cross so that we could all stand. So the more that we do that, we find we become more Christ-like. Nicky Gumbel says this. It's a helpful quote. People often ask God to change their circumstances, marriages, not realizing that he has put them in those circumstances to change them. So you can sometimes look at your marriage and think, oh, God, change my spouse, change this, change this. And he may be well saying, yeah, over time, things will get better. But I've put you in this to change you as well. Don't forget that. I want you changed. I want you to grow more like Christ for your good and for my glory. There may be some of you who are thinking, oh, this is all very nice, all, all very good ideals, but it's not really the reality, is it? And it's important as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, that we remember that actually the reality is the cross. The reality is the gospel. The circumstances are the more things that we say, oh yeah, it's all quite tough. It's all difficult. That's all going on. But the reality is I stand in Christ. The reality is he's died for me, and I'm free, and I'm forgiven. So it's because of the gospel that this is all a reality. The person and work of Jesus, it trickles into every area of our lives, including our marriages. I can give of myself completely and freely to my wife with confidence because I know the one who gave himself completely and freely for his bride. That's where it comes from. It's not just trite words. This is where it all comes from. I can forgive as one who knows what it is to be forgiven. I can extend grace because I know grace has been extended to me from the creator of the universe. I can release my spouse from the burden of meeting every need because I know she can't, but I found the one who can. And uh, I can release myself from the pressure of being the perfect husband because I know I can't, but I can encourage my wife to the one who can. And I don't have to feel the obligation of trying to obtain unobtainable statuses. I can move forward with hope and expectation because I know my marriage is not the center of the universe. Jesus is and his mission is. Essentially, as I let Jesus heal me and work on my hurts, my insecurities, my sin, my selfish desires, I can stop focusing on me and I can love my wife properly. And that is why the gospel is central and foundational and grace is the foundation. And as I do these things... I become more like Christ. That is the glory of God in his working in marriage. We're so, there's so much more we could say, but let's just pray for marriage and uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of marriage. We thank you so much that you are clever and you're committed to growing people like Christ. You put us into things that help us to get our eyes off ourselves and on others. We thank you for children thank you for families. We thank you for our flawed parents who did the best they could with us. We thank you for our flawed spouses who are trying to love us. We thank you that you are not flawed and you went the distance for us. And Lord, we lift up your name because you are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. 
Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.